I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the number's 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. There seems to be some uh, malfunction in the EEG. Dr. Banner himself has... Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and it's been a long time since we've had him on, but we're welcoming back a returning guest, and that is Ashley Stockdale. Ashley, how are you doing today? Good, Perry. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so it's been a minute since you've been on the show, so why don't you uh, uh, give a, a listeners a little reminder of who you are and what you do? Uh, well, I am an English teacher over in Japan. I've been here for about 21 years now. Uh, and I am kind of a long-time comic book fan and a big superhero movie fan. Uh, I was on the Black Widow episode and Punisher Warzone, I believe, which seemed to be about mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. Time flies when you're in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while. A uh, lot of episodes since then. I was it actually kind of surprised me when I looked back to see the last time you were on and just how much, how much stuff has come out since then. Yeah, um, well, my Spotify scroll was going... <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh fortunately we've had no shortage of of guests who wanted to come on the show so that's been good mm. um but it's good to having you back on uh especially now that we're 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 officially now coming out of the pandemic here in japan uh which is how we know each other because um my university classes this semester are all going to be back in person so they yep. sprung that on me at the last minute and they sent me an email saying oh yeah your classes will be remote and the next day they sent me another email saying no no they're going to be in person this time. wow really when did that happen yeah. like a, just a few days ago this is just like a 
about a month ago now. Um, oh, okay. They had sent the the full schedule of all the classes, saying like here are all the room assignments, and mine still said remote. And then the next day they said all classes are going to be in uh, in class. So so we'll yeah, see how it works out. I have to go in today and see if I still know how to use the classrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Took yeah, a while yeah. to get used to all the equipment and stuff, and now it's like, ah, how do I open this? How do I turn this on? What's the <laughs> Wi-Fi password? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, before we jump into the movie discussion, um, let's uh, you know what I do with with guests lately is I'm asking them what kind of thing is grabbing your interest lately. You know, it can be movies, comics, TV, video games, anything like that. What are you kind of uh, interested in or fixated on these days? Well, what I decided to do, I kind of made myself a New Year's resolution uh, to watch more movies. I figured that would be doable. So since January 1st, I've watched 100 uh, films. Wow, so I'm, nice. Yeah. I've been kind of going into little rabbit holes and kind of getting caught up on things that I missed. You know, a lot of things from the uh, 60s and 70s that I was way too young for and then just never got around to. So mm. catching up on, you know, old Jack Nicholson films. Uh, I finally watched MASH for the first time very problematic film nowadays mm-hmm. yeah yeah i noticed that the uh, 1970s was pretty rapey so, yeah yeah yes. there's a lot of that going on in movies back then yeah and then i watched the uh six or seven takeshi katano movies in the last month or so uh oh, my okay. 100th film yesterday was uh, merry christmas mr lawrence which i have not seen yet okay uh so, so have you been Cage, um, are you on uh, are you on letterboxd I, I not on there. No, I go in once in okay. a while, but yeah, I don't have time to say anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I, I use it to keep track of the movies I watch. So I don't often review stuff on there, but I just right. use it like to, to keep track of stuff and, you know, like go and watch. Oh, so I watched this last night and watched this. And so that's a good yeah, way to that keep track of easy. You know, my movie progress. Might be easier to share. I just have an Excel spreadsheet. I was thinking oh, of yeah. trying to see like... You know, which directors I've been favoring, uh, what actors. I seem to have a lot of George Clooney on my list right now. Obviously, a lot of Kitano. <laughs> Lots of Brad Pitt somehow. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Letterboxd is great. Like, I even started using it, you know, making a list of... Because, uh, you know, every we've covered so many movies now on this show. And so people are always ask when they want to come on. They're like, I don't know what to pick. So I'm like, okay, well, here are the yes. movies I have that I haven't been on the show yet. So if you want to talk about one of these, then let's go with that. And so that's been a, if you, there's something else, just let me know. So that's been a good way to, to keep track of stuff. Um, yeah. And it's very helpful to um, keep track of stuff that way. And uh, so it shows me, so I can look back and see like all the movies I've watched uh, this year. Doesn't have a running total though, unfortunately. So it just, but it just lists them all by date that I recorded them on. Um, right. But for me, uh, last night I had watched the uh, the first episode of the season three premiere of Superman and Lois. So I'm finally okay. getting back into that. So I'm starting to get into season three now. And it was really good. I'm not sure if you've seen any of it yet, but um, I think I'm midway through season two. OK, yeah, I'm kind of off and on with it. I get distracted mm-hmm. by other things and then I forget to go back and. For me, it's not really a show that I, I really feel like I need to concentrate on. So I often put it on mm-hmm. in a corner of my screen when I'm doing something else. So, mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this, especially because 
we're not sure if this is the last season or not. So um, mm. uh, they got a new actor playing uh, playing Jonathan uh, this oh, season right. too. So so that was a little bit jarring because um, at least in the first episode, he hasn't quite found his way into the role yet. But it, it, mm-hmm. it's not a bad performance. But I do find myself mi- missing uh, the previous actor because I really enjoyed That's him. That's the son that doesn't have powers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. And does the actor look quite similar or not? Not complete. Not quite. Like they, they kind of in some in some scenes they look similar, but in other scenes he's got a very he's got a different hairstyle. Is like the biggest thing that throws me off. Okay. Well, yeah, the original actor was having some mental health issues. Was that right? Yeah, something like that. I think he had he said he was struggling with depression or, or something along those lines. Um, I had also heard something. I don't know if this is true or not, but there was some uh, there was some vaccine issues as well. Um, but okay. again, I'm not one. That was just something I heard, you know, you know, through the Internet. So who knows how true it is now? Who's broadcasting um, that show? I forget which network. Is that a CW show? Yeah, that's a CW show. Um, so uh, been using a VPN and CWC to to catch up on it. So, okay. so, um, so that's how I get to watch it. Um, is the CW is still going? It's still going. Yeah, it, it got bought out and, you know, there's a lot of structural changes, but some shows are sticking around. Walker's pretty okay. popular. Uh, ah, the Kung okay. Fu, the new version of Kung Fu is pretty popular. The Winchesters, the the Supernatural spinoff, that's pretty popular, too. So, is that a um, prequel? So we'll s- e- I haven't seen it yet, but just from what I know of what people have told me, it's kind of a prequel, kind of a reboot, but it's like it's supposed to be a prequel, but it's there's some things that don't quite fit in. Okay, guys, sorry about the background noise in there. My daughter wanted a little bit of attention, so she's riding co-pilot with me right now. Uh, we'll see how long this lasts before she gets bored and wants to do something else or falls asleep. One of the two will usually mm-hmm. happen. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, today we are discussing uh, The Incredible Hulk, not the the Ed Norton movie, but instead we're talking about the the pilot episode of the Bill Bixby television show, which is actually a movie in itself. In fact, uh, Netflix here in Japan has does not have the show, but they've got that pilot as a movie in its own right. Um, so this is obviously the, the, the pilot of the very famous show starring Bill Bixby as David Banner, which we'll talk about in a minute, and, uh, and Lou Ferrigno plays the Hulk. Um, obviously, this is really big in the, in, the seven, in the late 70s, early 80s. It was kind of like, um, best way to describe the show is basically the fugitive, but if Richard Kimball turned into a green monster. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was... Uh... <laughs> That seemed to be a standard of shows around that era. There, I would say, like mm-hmm. the Fugitive is similar to that. Kung Fu is somewhat like that. Uh, right. Even Highway to Heaven, you know, the Michael Landon show where he's a traveling angel helping people out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course, the so, Fugitive um, has the pursuing thing with the reporter. But yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I say the Fugitive because that's like the most closest comparison. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Kung Fu definitely had that whole idea. The whole idea of like the wandering hero type of thing, right? You know, Have Gun, Will Travel was another one like that too. Oh yeah, right. Uh, which was... Um, yeah, we had uh, the uh, Littlest... Are you familiar with the Littlest Hobo from Canada? Oh, I've heard of that. It sounds familiar, uh, but I've never seen a it. A traveling dog. It's okay. a uh, like a... I think a husky mix. And he just goes from uh-huh. town to town helping people in need. 
Sometimes it's, you know, a kid who can't get their homework done on time. Sometimes it's a Russian ballerina defecting from the mob and the KGB or from Russia mm. and the KGB is on her tail. So. Yeah. But there's also, you know, the equalizer, which was, you know, sure. I don't think he moved around from place to place, but it was the still basic same idea of like, you know, this hero who's going around helping people. Quantum Leap even had that to an extent, too. Right. It was sure. except he was instead of traveling from town to town, it was time period to time period. Yeah, well, it lends itself very well to episodic storytelling because you can do basically anything you want. Right. I mean, that was the that was also the you know we were mentioning Supernatural earlier. That was they kind of brought that back for those early seasons. That's what it was. It was them going from town to town, solving these different um, monster related, supernatural related um, situations that would come up. Uh, so sure. yeah, it's a very good format to use for for TV shows, and um, and obviously this really introduced the war the world to the Hulk. Now, I've only seen a handful of episodes of the mm-hmm. TV show, right? It was, you know, obvi- I was born in 83, so it, it obviously ended before I was even born. And then it was, you know, it wasn't really in syndication everywhere. Every now and then, like, when I was growing up, I, I didn't, my, my parents didn't have cable. My grandparents did. So whenever I'd stay over at their place, you know, sometimes they'd have it pop up on one of the, the cable networks. There'd be an episode here, an episode there. So... I don't have the same kind of affinity or familiarity with it that most people have, but what is your history with um, the Hulk TV show? Well, I was born in 1970, so I would have to say that probably this was my first introduction to the Hulk and possibly even superheroes in general. Uh, When did Superman come out? Same year? Superman? Um, Yeah, 78, 78, I believe. Okay, so this was a little bit just before Superman came out. I mean, Superman this was, yeah, this the following was just summer. before. Right, because this yeah. pilot came out in 77, and the TV show started in 78. Uh, and of Is course, Wonder Woman. I think Wonder Woman started in 75. That was, I think that was also 77. Okay. I made a note Yeah, I believe that, that was 77. Too, but... Okay. So yeah, at that time, it was kind of a, a bit of a heyday for mm-hmm. superheroes on TV. There was right, that kind of crappy Spider-Man show as well. <laughs> right. Yeah, this was a this was a period when uh Marvel was really trying to get a lot of stuff out in media. Like back in the in the late in the 70s, Stan Lee had actually that was actually when he had moved out to California and he was he was working really hard to try to bring uh Marvel stuff to to TV and movies. So you, know, you got the Incredible Hulk TV show, the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man, also the Japanese Spider-Man um, came right. out in the 70s as well. Uh, and um, and in addition to that, there was also the uh, the Doctor Strange uh, pilot for a TV oh, show, right. which we had covered way early on and was surprisingly a lot better than I expected it to be. Right. Um, and it actually came well, out think in the... 77, I believe. The Hulk made it, uh, I think, a, quite a big success because I think it is it, actually the longest running of those superhero mm-hmm. TV shows from that era. Yeah, they managed five seasons and so, yeah, yeah, five seasons, eighty episodes, and five movies. I think three movies. They've got the uh, they consider well, the pilot you, to be you, a movie. If you count, yeah, if you count the pilot, then it's four movies. Um, but yeah, the three that came after it was. There were three that came after the show ended. There was um, the Return of the Incredible Hulk, the Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and the Death of the Incredible Hulk. And then there was a fourth, right. or there was a fifth one planned called the Revenge of right. the Incredible Hulk. But um, 
Bill Bixby had had been diagnosed with cancer and then um, that had put it off and then he had he had passed away. So then they they scrapped it completely. But yeah, I also heard the ratings for Death of Incredible Hulk were a little disappointing. That was another thing, too. Right. It was it, it wasn't the ratings weren't that good because when they did Death of the Incredible Hulk, they were actually planning Revenge of the Incredible Hulk to bring him back afterwards. But then yeah. the ratings weren't that good. And then Bill Bixby's cancer. So then they they just scrapped the whole thing entirely. And yeah. they actually the- thought about, well, because those movies, um, uh, Return of the Incredible Hulk introduced Thor, which was yeah. supposed to be a backdoor pilot. And then also Trial of the Incredible Hulk introduced Daredevil and Kingpin, again, supposed to be a backdoor pilot. And early drafts of Death, one was supposed to include She-Hulk, and then later they were planning to do Iron Man. Neither one of them actually made it into the finished product, and um, mm-hmm. so... Uh, but those were initially the idea, like, well, let's see if we can introduce these other characters, too. Um, Who played Kingpin? Do you know? It was, um, oh, what was his name? He, he He's Sala from the Indiana Jones movies and uh, Gimli in Lord of the Rings. I'm blanking on his oh, name. Oh, yeah. Right now, John Reese davies John Reese davies Yeah, that was it. That was really? It. Wow. Um, I have to take a look at that. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen any of those movies. From what I understand... Um, the Daredevil one is a little bit better, like as far as, okay. um, but the, uh, at least from what I, what people have said and the Thor one's just kind of goofy. Well, um, see, I looked at the, uh, some of the, I haven't seen it, but I looked at some of the, you know, images on the internet and stuff of the Daredevil mm-hmm. one. And it looks like he's wearing almost the same costume from the first season of the, uh, Netflix show. Yeah. Yeah, the, absolutely. The black I... and the black bandana mm-hmm. around the top of his head. Yeah, yeah. Very similar, uh, very similar to, to that. And that was, um, I'm not sure if uh, the Man Without Fear miniseries had come out at that time or not. But that was, oh, yeah, I that was know. where they were in the in the Netflix show, I remember. Um, now, uh, what about the Hulk in the comic books? Are you a big Hulk fan in the comics? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a big Hulk fan. I mean, I like the character, but I can't honestly think of any, like, you know, back, especially back in the 80s when I first started collecting comic books, I can't really think of any uh, big runs that I was interested in particularly. I don't know if I mentioned to you before, but around, I think, 1983 was when Secret Wars came out. The uh, Jim Shooter Secret Wars. I think it may have been, I think it may have been 85, 86, but again, I'm not 100% certain. So, yeah, I was in junior high school anyway, and so my friends and I just kind of stumbled across the uh, first issue of Secret Wars. And I, when I opened that splash page where they're, all the heroes are standing in their ship waiting to go down to the Beyonder planet or whatever, and I just saw that big spread of all the heroes and all the villains, I just got sucked right in. Uh, and I had been familiar with the big, I would say, in the 70s, maybe the big five would have been Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Hulk, and possibly Wonder Woman. With, you know, a little bit of interest in Flash and the other Justice League members. But other than that, not really a lot of kind of mainstream attention. So Mm -hmm. that kind of really sucked me in. And then just following on from there, we uh, one of the girls in my class said, oh, you guys like comic books? I have some comic books. Come and get them. So we went to her house. And she literally gave us a thousand comic books. Holy crap. And we took them back to my house and spread them out in the basement by, you know, uh, title. And then Mm. we took turns picking titles and agreed to kind of try to collect those titles. And then every several months we would swap our 
collections oh. and all get to read the next run. So I started out with mostly the X books and the mutants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Awesome. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, I wish someone would have given me a thousand comics when I was that <laughs> yeah. age. Well, I did double definitely. Check. While you were talking, I did double check and it was 1984 that Secret Wars came out. Okay. Um, so, so you were right on that. Um, me, I, I was never a big Hulk reader in the comic books. I had, um, my first real big exposure to him solo was probably the Bruce Jones run from the, uh, the early, the early two thousands. Um, and okay. that, that was one that I started collecting. And, um, I know it's, be I know like it's controversial among Hulk fans, but I enjoyed it at the time. I haven't reread it since. Um, and then I picked up some other stuff here and there. Uh, I read the Paul Jenkins run, the, uh, which came before that the, um, Mark Wade did a run to and Jason Aaron, uh, the most recent stuff, the Immortal Hulk that uh, Al Ewing did, which is amazing. That was uh, mm. definitely really good. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I uh, would say actually, my very first Hulk comic. I don't know if you've ever read this. Was a DC Marvel crossover of Batman versus the Hulk. Oh no, I didn't even know about that. I know there had been I like. I believe it's I, I, DC I, Super Special Number Twenty Seven. Okay. And I, from my recollection, it takes place in a prison, and oh, okay. it's basically just a long fight between the Hulk and Batman. So it's basically like they fight, and then they're friends, and then they go their separate ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, we had a giant-sized kind of issue, you know, like a an A3 size paper uh, issue like that. I believe there was another one. I could be totally Mandela affecting. But I think there was a Spider-Man Superman one as well. There was a Spider-Man Superman one. That I do definitely. I've never read it, but I do remember it existing. I think, I'm not sure. I know that Superman and the Hulk fought in Marvel vs. DC, but I don't remember if there was also a... I've got a... This also may be a Mandela effect thing, but I've got a memory of like a, a Superman-Hulk crossover comic as well. Yeah. But again, I might just be mixing things up and my memory, my mind just might be Mandela affecting as well. Um, yeah, I think they were a little friendlier, the two companies at that point. Well, yeah, back then they were, because um, all the, you know, the, the offices were like down the street from each other. So like all the creators, all the freelancers, they would, you know, they'd work together. Um, you know, some of them were roommates together. They would, you know, all, they'd all be like going out for drinks together and they would do different things. Like, you know, the Squadron Supreme was based, or the Squadron Sinister originally was based on the Justice League. They had done like a version of the Avengers facing off against the against the Justice League 2 over at DC. So there's a lot of stuff like that going on back at the time. Teen Titans X-Men jokes. Teen Titans X-Men was a crossover as well. Yeah. Yeah. Did you there, read the there, Amalgam? Did you read those Amalgam books? I remember those. Yeah, I remember those fondly. Those that was a uh, those were fun. That was like the best thing to come out. Like the Marvel versus DC crossover wasn't that great, but those those Amalgam books were a lot of fun. I wish that Marvel and DC could come to an agreement and republish those collections or even do like another one. Cause that was a, that was a fun idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, uh, and I, I, I know Peter David's obviously the, the classic for Hulk runs. I have those books. I have them okay. on my Kindle. I've got like all the Epic collections. I just have not started reading them yet, but I am hoping to get to them, uh, at some point before I die as well as like the other, like 400 <laughs> or so books yeah, I have exactly. on my Kindle. It's all about time, Perry. If we could make another day in the week where we can just shut down time and just consume content, mm -hmm. 
I'd be a very yeah, happy man. And, and if I could have a babysitter <laughs> too for that time, because that's another thing. Every time I pull out my Kindle when I'm trying to read, my daughter gets very interested and she's like, what are you doing? She comes over and she keeps, she wants to touch the screen. So, so yeah. I have to wait until she's asleep before I can start reading anything. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah. But anyway, so this was my first time uh, watching this movie, and okay. uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff with this, because um, do you know who uh, wrote, directed, and produced this? Uh, Kenneth Johnson. Kenneth Johnson. Do you know what else he's done? Uh, I know that he did some work on The Bionic Man. He created The Bionic Woman and V. Mm-hmm. I believe the Alien miniseries from the late '80s. Yes, yes, he did all that. Okay. Also, he directed a very infamous superhero movie. Okay, I don't uh, know. So he I didn't check his he filmography. Directed, he directed Steel. Oh, really? Okay, Steel version. Yes, and um, right, right, I'm not right. sure if you remember. We did an episode on that and just tore it apart. And it is so bizarre to watch Steel and to then go watch this because. This is such a somber, serious take on superheroes, and Steel is just not at all. Well, it makes me wonder why he would do that, because he's... I watched several interviews with him, and I actually saw it, like, I found a director's commentary on this, and he is very much adamant that he did not like superheroes. Mm. And, you know, they offered him... Apparently, CBS had the rights to five different heroes, and they asked him, which one do you want? And he said, none of them because he couldn't relate to any of that spandex stuff. But Steel seems very much in the crazy superhero mode. Yeah, I I mean, it's just, I don't know what was going on with the production of Steel. We talked about that in in that episode, because it seems like, because Quincy Jones was one of the producers on it, and we were saying, and with the budget that, because that had a pretty decent sized budget too. So like we were saying, like we just feel like Quincy Jones just pocketed a lot of that money. Yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but with this one, uh, yeah, like, and it, it's fairly obvious from this pilot that Johnson is not very interested in the superhero side of things. Um, and yeah, he didn't like, he was trying to, uh, he made a lot of changes from the comics because he wanted to make it acceptable to a wide audience. He didn't yep. like comics and he felt it best that it be as different as possible from the comics. So instead yeah, of, I heard comics, that he, uh, he took his real inspiration from Les Miserables. I would see that. I mean, there's obviously def- very, very heavy Frankenstein um, influences as well. Yeah, well, um, he said for him, Banner is Jean Valjean and uh, mm-hmm. Colvin is Javert, who's tracking him and chasing him. So, yeah, apparently his um, wife had so, given him that. Yeah, and uh, also um, they'd made uh, Banner a, phys- uh, a medical researcher in here trying to research... Um, uh, you know, adrenaline and all that. And like how people show incredible strength during times of stress. And yeah, well, I was then he kind of, I wondered about that because I remember very distinctly in the seventies, there being a lot of television shows that focused on that kind of mom strength. I used to call it oh, really? where like a mother had a car accident and managed to lift the car off their child, you know, mm-hmm. and it seemed to be, on a lot of kind of variety type programs, uh, there was a show called That's Incredible that did kind of little segments of kind of fantastical things. And I seem mm. to remember that being a real thing that people used to talk about. And I don't know which came first. Was it the Incredible Hulk TV show or the mom strength kind of idea? 
So I think it must have been just based on what was coming out at the time. Like, you know, so I think it was probably the mom strength idea and probably because stories like that were starting to be publicized and and because, you know, I mean, medical science is very new, is very young. It's extremely yeah. young. So, I mean, it didn't really, we didn't know much about biology until after World War II. And a lot of that right. came out, you know, from the the experiments that the Nazis and the Japanese did. And yeah. um, because before that, we just didn't know what the human body was capable of. So a lot of that kind of right. comes out of that research. But before that, we mm-hmm. didn't really know a whole lot about it. Like medical science before the, the 1930s is just very medieval. Hmm. So it does make sense that that was probably when they started discovering this stuff. Yeah, possibly. So yeah, going back oh, to the, I mean, the changes that he made, and then kind of making it less superhero. Apparently, this uh, he was talking about the demographics in one of the interviews I saw, and said that uh, the top audience for the Incredible Hulk TV series was adult women, followed by adult men, followed by teenagers, mm-hmm. followed by kids. So. Yeah, uh, Stanley had mentioned something that like that as well, and um, he, and there are a few there among the changes, right? Uh, besides uh, David being uh, being a, a um, a physician and a medical researcher, uh, another yeah. thing was the Hulk wasn't as strong or as invulnerable as he is in the comics or even now in the in the MCU movies. Um, yeah. there's a scene in this movie right where he gets shot and you know he starts bleeding from it. And, um, and that yeah, was well, I, watched few, the I watched a few other episodes uh, just in the last couple of weeks that I've managed to track down. And mm-hmm. he tends to get injured in almost every one somehow. Yeah. And there is there is a healing factor. So, um, yes. I mean, Banner get like it says here on Wikipedia that in one episode, uh, Banner becomes a paraplegic. But after his mm. next transformation, he's able to walk within minutes and then his spine is completely restored by the end of the episode. So um, yeah, it seems like he, in that episode, from what I read, he uh, kind of uses the power in order to heal himself. Like it's a conscious decision to try to hulk out. Um, Yeah. I think the the realism, you know, has to be kind of done because of the era, you know, you couldn't really, uh, you know, do the strength stuff you can do now with CGI, of course. Uh, you know, if you look at some of the scenes where they're, you know, smashing cars or whatever, it's obvious that the cars and things are made out of material that they weren't really made out of at that time. Uh, window glass is a good example. (laughs) The way that it breaks is very unrealistic. And also, I mean, I think it's because it's television, there's no punching. The Hulk never punches a person. He Mm -hmm. only throws them or pushes them. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. Yeah, I remember seeing that in a few episodes as well. Now that you mention it, um, also the the name change. So there are a few different stories about the name change. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnson has said that he changed it because he didn't want it to be perceived as too comic booky, and right. you know, and one of the big trademarks of comics at the time was the alliterative alliterative name. So Bruce Banner, sure. Peter Parker, Clark Kent, all that kind of stuff. Reed Richards, and, Sue Storm, Reed Richards, yeah, all those and. Um, <laughs> Which is a weird thing that you're going to focus on with all the crazy yeah. things that happen. Like, you've got a guy who turns green, but you think that the 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 thing that's going to make it seem too comic booky is if his name is alliterative. So, yeah, I don't. But, well, um, see, I definitely I lean to the other theory, which is that mm-hmm. Bruce was too gay. That was another one. Yeah, that was something that Stanley and Lou Ferrigno had said that CBS thought the name Bruce sounded too gayish. 
which Ferrigno yeah. said was the most absurd, ridiculous thing he had ever heard. Um, it was a and- thing in the 70s. I distinctly remember it when I was an elementary school student that Bruce was the gay name, which was the weirdest thing. I mean, it. I was thinking about it, you know, maybe it maybe it had something to do with Batman 66 because of how campy that show was and over the top. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, there was definitely that kind of the campiness and also the, mm. uh, you know, the Robin relationship. Some people were questioning a little bit. Right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Apparently there was a Monty Python sketch that had a bunch of Australian guys who were all named Bruce. And then they were having some kind of a club and every second rule was no poofters. Mm, which made yeah. it seem like they were closeted homosexuals. Uh, some people say it's because the way that Bruce sounds, it just kind of goes off your tongue in a lisp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, apparently there was also a sketch on The Tonight Show where Johnny Carson had a uh, a sketch where some man was being asked and he said, oh, I'll ask my wife, Bruce. And so that was kind of got into the culture somehow as Bruce being a gay name. Yeah, and also Johnson said on the on the commentary that it was a way to honor his son David. So we've got all these different yeah. explanations flowing around about why they changed his name because they did keep it they did keep the middle name, right? Which yes. is which is interesting because the in the comic books, Bruce is also his middle name in the comic books. It's Robert Bruce Banner. And Okay. Um so uh it's I, I well, I guess maybe I guess the alliterative thing does have uh, a note of truth of it too, because that would explain why he didn't use Robert. He didn't want to be called Bob mm-hmm. Banner. So right. um, also, he, um, Johnson said in a commentary that he wanted the Hulk to be colored red instead of green. Sure. Um, because, imagine you know, a red Hulk. <laughs> yeah, which I, <laughs> I I imagine that was probably one of um, Jeff Loeb's inspirations for uh, uh, for for doing the very, Red Hulk. I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I. But I assume that would probably be accurate. And mm-hmm. he said because red is the color of rage and that red is a human color, whereas green is not. Uh, yeah, but Stanley that makes said sense. That, uh, Stanley said, you know, at the time he said, you know, non-negotiable. It has to be green because it's so yes. iconic to the character. And Yeah, well, um, it had been well established at that point. Although was uh, green not green wasn't the first choice, was it, for the Hulk, though? Well, yeah, well, that it was, but the coloring uh, process, I think, no, I can't remember exactly how, what it was, but it was gray it was in gray the first, first appearance. It was gray in the first yeah. appearance. And I think it was the coloring process was too difficult. So then they changed it to green in the second appearance on. Um, yeah. Although later when coloring became more advanced, they did obviously introduce the gray Hulk in Peter sure. David's run. And, and so we've had different versions of that. I, and I think. You watching this pilot, I think Gray would have been a better choice for this show. Okay. Because the green, or at least a more a darker green or something, because the the bright bright the brighter green they use for the makeup uh doesn't really fit too well, I felt in this. Well, I think they had all kinds of trouble with the makeup. I watched mm-hmm. the uh second kind of like it, maybe three weeks after they broadcast this first movie, they broadcast another movie called uh, Death in the Family which kind mm-hmm. of served as another, like a second pilot to the series to kind of establish how the series would go with Banner traveling from place to place and helping people out. And there's a scene where he fights a bear in the water. And mm-hmm. as he's fighting the bear, I think it's a real bear. I'm not sure if it was actually Ferrigno, but it was 
like Ferrigno wrestling the bear in the makeup and the bear starts to turn green because the makeup is just rubbing <laughs> off all over the bear. So it seemed a very, yeah, rough choice. And apparently they had to get that makeup all the way from Germany and it took four hours to put it on every single day. So. Yeah, and they had uh, the prosthetics they use in, in this pilot. I think also in that pilot as well is what I'd read that they had toned it down in the regular series because it yes. was it it was in, originally intended to make him look much more monstrous, but it didn't it didn't work too well. And I think it was it was definitely the wise choice because looking at Ferrigno and the prosthetics in this, like it, when they do like the close when it when it's from a distance, it's fine. But when they do the close ups yeah. on his face, it really it really seems jarring. And talking yeah, about the makeup rubbing off. very goofy. Right. And talking about the makeup rubbing rubbing off, I noticed that in several in several shots of this too. Like there, there are parts where like, you know, the makeup has rubbed off on like his hands or something like that, or or yeah. parts of his parts of his brow. So yeah, the makeup was not very easy to stick to stay on. So I think if they had used gray or a darker green, it would have been less noticeable when that happened. Yeah, possibly for sure. Also, the wig. Uh, thankfully, they changed the wig as the series went on as well, because that first wig was a nightmare. I was going to say the same thing. That wig was very distracting. Yes. Like it, yeah, I did not like that wig at all. Um, <laughs> now, one I wonder really... if it was specially made or if they just went to like a costume shop and just grabbed the first wig. They that's found. a that's a good question because that wig was very jarring. It it was not good at all. It didn't seem to suit mm. Ferrigno's head. Um, also yeah. apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger had auditioned to be the Hulk too, but he was yes. rejected because he was too short. Well, see, I, there was some discrepancy with that too, right? Cause I was, oh, okay. I, like I said, I listened to the director's commentary and Kenneth Johnson said Schwarzenegger's only five ten. That is not true. Schwarzenegger is six two and oh, Ferrigno wow. is six four. So there's not that much of a height difference. I, at the time, also, uh, Schwarzenegger was kind of getting to be into his movie career, and he was doing Conan at the time, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was actually Schwarzenegger who recommended Ferrigno for the role, because they had known each other from uh, the documentary film that they did together, and the bodybuilding circuit, of course. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen Pumping Iron? No, but I've—I mean, I've seen clips of it, I think, and, and photos from it, yeah, but I've actually I just, seen the show itself. I watched it this week as well, just to get some more kind of background on the whole situation. And it's a very good documentary that really shows kind of the, uh, I mean, the amazing things you can do with the human body. And Schwarzenegger mm -hmm. is extremely charismatic and funny in it. And I can see mm -hmm. how this launched his movie career. Uh, Richard Keel was actually originally cast as the Hulk. You know, he was Jaws yes. in um, in the, the Bond movies. But um, yep. uh, during filming... Uh, Johnson's son pointed out that, you know, even though Keel is very tall, he's like seven feet or something like that. His, his yep. physique was not developed enough for the Hulk. So then they replaced him with Lou Ferrigno. Yes. Well, he's, I think Keel is not very muscular at all. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He has that one scene where he's looking up at the tree. Uh, I'm assuming because it was an overhead crane shot that it mm. was far enough away. You couldn't really tell. And also they didn't want to reshoot it. So. Right. Yeah. Now, what were some things that you were thinking as you were rewatching this pilot? Um, well, uh, I think the cast is quite good. I think mm -hmm. Bill Bixby is a very, very good choice for uh, Bruce Banner and for a lead in a TV show. Uh, and I think he basically carried the whole show himself. 
Uh, he's a, mm-hmm. obviously was a very well-seasoned actor at the time, had had several series under his belt, and uh, at first maybe was reluctant to do something like this, but then seemed to really, really get on board. And, I mean, it seemed to probably be the most successful thing he did in his career, really, mm-hmm. in terms of recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they had, you know, Susan Sullivan was, as Dr. Elena Marks, his uh, kind of confidant and co-worker, his research mm-hmm. partner. Uh, to give the feminine touch. Um, she's a very good actor as well. Uh, I knew her from Dharma and Greg later in the 90s or early 2000s. A sitcom. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's done a lot of TV. But there was mm-hmm. a lot of kind of creepy stuff with her as well. One thing that really mm-hmm. struck me right away is as soon as we see her, she gets sexually harassed by a lab assistant. Yeah. And then the next scene, she mentions, you know, the woman that they're interviewing. There's a woman who they're doing part of their research who managed to turn over a car to rescue her son. And she mentions that she was 110 pounds at that time. And Elena has to say, oh, I wish I could keep that weight. And then a few seconds later, she eats a donut and says, I'm going to get fat from eating these donuts. Later, she's in the shower for no reason at all. And in the DVD commentary, Kenneth Johnson says she puts on a robe, much to the disappointment of the crew. Oh, my God. And then in the lab scenes, he goes out of his way to mention her see-through shirt with its strategically placed pockets. So it seems to me that Susan Sullivan was cast strictly for uh, (laughs) uh, Kenneth Johnson's wank bank. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that shirt, and I'm just like, "Why is she wearing that shirt in the lab? That's a weird choice." Um, yeah. But yeah, that jumped out to me as well. Um, yeah, you know what? The as thing I that said, struck- the '70s were pretty rapey. Very, yeah, very rapey. Um, but one of the things that struck me about this is, is first off, it you know, it is it does kind of make me laugh when people talk about um, Ang Lee's Hulk film, and they talk about how it's a Hulk movie, but there's no action in it. And I'm like, well, there is. And then you compare it to something like this, which was so beloved at the time, there is like no action in this at all. It's very slow moving. Yeah, well, uh, well, I found it, you know, to me, it wasn't that slow. But when you think about it after I finished watching it, there was very little in terms of kind of story beats and story Mm. development. If you look at a current kind of MCU movie and the amount of content that is jammed into those two and a half hours mm-hmm. i mean it's kind of crazy how little happens in this movie well i mean even if you compare it, it to some other superhero tv shows like you compare it to the dr strange pilot for example you use something okay. that was more contemporaneous that had a lot more action in it than this did and um or even like you know some more modern stuff like if you look like and and not even going to the the more superhero-y stuff like Flash or Supergirl or, but if you look at the more grounded like Arrow like the the premiere of Arrow had more action in yep. that in that forty minute runtime than this has in double the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically there's basically three things. You know, mm-hmm. they do the research. He gets the gamma. He does his first transformation. They go to the lab. He breaks the hyperbaric chamber. They go. Colvin or Jack McGee breaks into the lab. He spills some chemicals. There's a fire. He hulks out again. Elena dies. End of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And that's it. Um, and the only real, and yeah, there's not much display of the Hulk's strength in this really. Like you don't get a, 
very good sense. They, they focus much more on the, there's a lot on the medical research side of thing in this, in this movie. Sure. Well, and like, it's very, very 1970s in terms of like, let's talk and like, let's give the exposition so right. much like, yeah, just, yeah. and also talking, there's a lot of talking out loud as people do mm -hmm. stuff. Like, yeah. hmm, I guess I'll look in this window. Wow, I can see that they've smacked. Like, there's no inner monologues going on. So. Yeah. And it, it it was an interesting choice. I think it would have been, especially given that they knew where the series was going to go and they were going to go in this more fugitive direction. You think they yeah. do a little bit more with David being hunted down or the Hulk being, you know, something to happen earlier and to bring that more to the forefront to show why... David has to start, you know, traveling around because it's because, you know, he fakes his death at the end. But, you know, it's just to get it seems like it's just to get McGee off his trail. But it would have been a lot more interesting, I think, to focus because they do have this whole subplot about, you know, the Hulk finds this little girl very you know, taken straight out of Frankenstein. Right. You know, yep. just like that's And and, you know, he, he tries to save her. He's trying to help her out. But, you know, the father misunderstands, shoots him. You know, the cops start looking for the Hulk. That's how McGee gets involved. But aside from McGee, that that whole sequence just seems to serve for McGee to get deeper involved into it. But yep. everybody else, like the police, the town, they just kind of forget about it after that. Yeah, well, it's all set up. And I think, in fact, the second uh, kind of pilot movie, the Death in the Family one, sets it up mm -hmm. more. And there is more stuff where the Hulk is getting involved with other people. And there is a reason for people to fear him he puts a few guys in the hospital in that one uh who are you know harassing him of course and then kind of sets up the whole trope of him helping somebody in need you know kind of at the expense of his own seeking a cure uh, and there are several episodes of the tv show that kind of do a better job this yeah. is very much just uh let's see what we can do let's see how the makeup looks Let's see, you know, how we can get how Ferrigno looks in the as the Hulk. Let's see what mm. we can do to establish these two guys and the guy following him. And then we'll work on making better stories in the actual series. So mm. yeah, there was an episode in season two. I watched the first uh, episode of season two, which mm. is an episode called Married, where he meets a woman. He goes to her to try to get hypnosis to help contain the Hulk. And she's dying of a, an accelerated disease similar to ALS. And she kind of, they tried to help each other. And they end up getting married in that one. And there's some very good uh, content in that one. Uh, Mariette Hartley, in fact, won the Emmy for Best Supporting Actress in a Guest Role for oh, that, cool. which I think is the Hulk's only uh, Emmy win. And then there are some very nice uh, cheesy fights with some douchey guys with open shirts and chains and mustaches, 70s style. 70s style. And then yeah. I watched another, yeah, I watched another episode too called The Snare, which is basically, uh, what's that story? I can't remember the name of it suddenly. The Most Dangerous Game. Oh, right, right. Where he meets a guy in an airport and the guy says, oh, come to my private island and play chess. And then I'll hunt you. <laughs> so those episodes ended up being kind of fun. So, uh, uh, but yeah, yeah as think, you say, this movie mm -hmm. light on yeah, content. I think, I think it would have been better because now I haven't seen the the death in the family, but I feel like just based on how much filler there was in this, they probably could have 
done a better job of combining those two together. It maybe it yeah. make it a little bit longer, but I think like there, there, there is a way to make to to better execute this story and then to get the ball rolling on what would be the the basic premise of the series as a whole. Because as it stands, yeah. there is just a ton of filler in this, and it did. I did feel myself yeah. drifting off at times. Um, yeah, well, I think it's a it's a reflection of the era. Really, it is, yeah. And I, when I watch 1970s television shows or even movies, I kind of have to put myself into the mindset of this is a different time and people were more patient. Uh, there is a lot of silence and a lot of kind of montage sequences in those TV shows and movies I've been watching recently. Mm-hmm. I watched Once Upon a Time in America a few weeks ago, and there are very many scenes of people just looking at each other for two minutes at a time. And not saying anything. I'm like, what are you doing? I've had that in my Plex library for for years, but I haven't had the time to sit down and actually watch it because it's long. It's like three hours and plus and change, yes. though, isn't it? Yeah. I think it might be four. Four, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. It's a long one, yeah. So, um, yeah. But yeah, and uh, another thing I was thinking about too is that you know it's funny when we think about other media taking a, a serious approach to superheroes, we mm-hmm. mostly think about it. You know, there's this brief window where you had Batman 89 and Batman Returns and and then nothing until really like the 2000s when we get into like X-Men and and Blade and Spider-Man and all that kind of stuff. That was and then obviously, you know, then with uh, the Nolan trilogy and the MCU. um, But we think about it as like most of the time, for the most part, we think about it as like this from like 66 is when superheroes started coming into media with Batman. And then aside from this brief blip this brief window in with Batman 89 and Batman returns, we think of superheroes as just mainly being, you know, something to poke fun at in in media until we get to the two thousands. But then you look at this, you know, Superman, the movie as well, it's got some campy elements, but it mostly hues towards the serious, but you look at this and then the, again, the Dr. Strange TV movie, even to a lesser extent, the green Hornet TV show from the, from the, that was also coming out in the sixties. Uh, although yep. it only lasted one season. And then, um, you know, I haven't seen it in years, but the Flash TV show from the early 90s was also, from what I understand, fairly serious as well. And yep. it is interesting that we didn't have more of a serious approach to superheroes that lasted longer, given all these things that were coming out. It makes me wonder what would have happened if Doctor Strange had gone to series with a, and Ad had a much more serious approach too. How did that series, I mean, how did that pilot or movie track? Did it get not good ratings? This Doctor Strange one. I don't think it got good ratings because it was airing simultaneously with Roots. So it got, it was definitely over. What are they doing? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They thought that would be competition for like one of the most famous miniseries in the history of television. I have no (laughs) idea what they were thinking, but... uh, it's worth tracking down. Like I said, it's actually fairly good. There are some wonky effects, but it mostly yeah. it mostly holds together pretty well. Plus, it's got just Who's Doctor Strange? Peter Hooten. Who's Doctor Strange? Peter Hooten. Okay. Yeah. Um, I and he does a pretty I good haven't... job. He's got like the kind of like... In fact, he feels a little bit more comic book Tony Stark than Doctor Strange, but he does fit the role pretty well. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the Incredible Hulk, you know, series, from what I was reading about this, uh, it was kind of canceled for no reason after five seasons because it was still doing well in the ratings. But it seemed like it was just some new guy had come into management 
and was just kind of making a power play or his own decision to CBS doesn't want to be the superhero network. So we're going to just cancel this one and, you know, go in a different direction. That happened with uh, with Angel on um, uh, on the CW or, or it was still the WB at that point. Um, but mm. it was it was do, it was like the, the highest rated show on the network. But the new head of the, the network hated the show. And so yeah. we got rid of it. And that, that was it. Yeah. So it was just like it was just studio politics. Seems like personal vendettas. There's yeah. stuff like that. There's also something like I don't know, but I remember um Blade the series that was on Spike TV was did yep. very well in the ratings, but the reason that got canceled was it was just too expensive. So I wonder yeah, if maybe well, money had something. There was expensive things about the Hulk as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I was saying I watched a uh, there was a documentary I found on YouTube about the Hulk. I haven't quite finished it, but it talks to some of the writers and there's a lot of uh, Kenneth Johnson footage. And he said at one point, CBS brought in some British guy to mm-hmm. cut costs and that guy or that guy told them he could cut costs. And he came in and said, uh, you need to make your Hulk episodes only for what you've budgeted for in the contract and like mm-hmm. just for the the fee that you've paid, the licensing fee or whatever that you've paid to Marvel for this. And he mm-hmm. said, well, okay, can we just have one Hulk out per episode then? And the guy was like, no, 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 you still have to have two Hulk outs per episode. And then he said, well, I can't do it. So I guess we're just going to have to cancel the show. And then the uh-huh. British guy disappeared and never came back. But mm-hmm. okay, but there are, yeah, apparently two Hulk outs in every episode. So I was going to ask. So I guess that was the formula that is to have two Hulk outs every episode. Um, yeah. Well, the Hulkouts themselves, what do you think about the transformation itself? I thought it was, I mean, you know, again, we're talking 1977. I thought it was pretty effective for, for the technology they had at the time. Like, it's not, you know, nothing like we see even on, you know, She-Hulk or anything like that. But it's, yeah. it, it works for what, they're, what, they, what they had access to. Yeah, well, I think turning into the Hulk works very well. They have this kind of maybe four basic shots that they do for that sequence they have banner Mm. with his white contacts then they have banner with a slight brow and a little bit green then they usually go to the back of ferrigno with a shirt tear and then they're full back to the full hulk but when they come back to banner very often what they do is they just put a green glow around his face that looks really horrible (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The de-hulking was not as impressive, but the hulking out, I thought like the contacts and on Bixby and everything, that was very effective, I thought. Yeah. Well, in the episode, The Snare, they actually managed to get a, a shoe ripping, which was nice. Oh, was okay. looking out for that. Kind of bursting um, through the seams of the shoe. One of the things that surprised me, too, is that, and I, I guess it's probably because Johnson wasn't a big comic book guy to begin with, but I would have thought that this would have been an opportunity to include some mention from the comics like if you had made elena um betty ross or something like that uh would have been a nice nod to the comics at least but instead but we don't or even his even his wife who dies in the in the opening credits like that would again that would have been something too to tie it closer to the comics instead of naming her laura i think it was but instead of naming her betty has he ever been married in the comics i mean previous him and betty were married for a fairly long time i believe yeah yeah, yeah, I know him and Betty were. Well, I think, I mean, it was just getting away from that whole origin. So, and I was mm-hmm. curious, I don't honestly remember Ang Lee's Hulk and then the uh, the Edward Norton version. What are the origins of the Hulk in those versions? So in the um, the Ang Lee's Hulk, it's 
they're working on a um they're both tied to the military and stuff. in angley's hulk they're working on like a, a healing type of thing like with nano machines to try and okay. repair damage and also yep. there's this whole thing that with his father who's named david in uh nick nolte's character um he's yep. named david banner as a nod to the tv show he was working for the military and he was he was a medical scientist for the uh, or research scientist for the military and he was work and he had injected bruce with some sort of he had tested some stuff on bruce as a child and yeah. That stuff that was in his DNA from his father's tests combined with the nano machines and the accident, the lab that turned him into the Hulk. Um, okay. And then so they've he, never done a gamma bomb, not a gamma bomb, but it, it was with using gamma radiation. And then in the 2000 in the, and they had Norton one, they had done, uh, they kind of combined aspects of this TV show with the origin from the ultimate comics. Cause in the ultimate comics, Banner was working on, uh, he was trying to recreate the superhero, the super soldier's serum. And right. he had used, he was using gamma to try and unlock the secret of this, to try and recreate the super soldier serum. He tested it on himself and that turned him into the Hulk. They yeah. used that in, um, in the incredible Hulk in the Ed Norton one, where he's, he's okay. trying to recreate the super soldier serum. Although he doesn't really, he doesn't quite know it at the time. I think was mm -hmm. the implication. Like it was, he was involved. He was working for the military, but he didn't completely know what he was working on. Okay. And um, and the opening credits of the movie, they have him sitting in a machine very similar to the one that Bill Bixby uses in, in this movie right. too. So so that was yeah. Well, I heard there they are a lot of too. callbacks. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of callbacks in the Ed Norton version to the TV show. I think. Oh yeah, so, like and the, I wonder uh, if that was. I mean, you know, the you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry line. That's reference that he says it in uh, in Portuguese, but he says I'm hung you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry instead. Yeah, well, that's a very uh, I mean, that's something that was very much a legacy of the Incredible Hulk series. Mm -hmm. I'm quite curious. I tried to look it up to see if he ever says it again, except for in the pilot movie, because it was in the yeah. opening credits every week which uh -huh. is why it kind of took a foothold. And basically every elementary school kid in North America said that to their friends at one point, mm -hmm. you know, don't they make also, me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. They also had a callback to it in the, in the young Lee film. Um, when, mm. um, in one scene, Eric, he doesn't say the full line, but in one scene, uh, Eric Banya's banner, he, he's saying to Talbot, he says, Talbot, you're making me angry. And then he just starts to yeah. transform. So he doesn't say yeah. the full line. Um, it's also referenced in Dogma, complete with McGee, because okay. in Dogma, they've got uh, this one officer who's named Officer McGee, goes up to Ben Affleck's character, Bartleby, and and uh, Ben Affleck says, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And then he breaks his neck. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to watch that again. <laughs> so essentially, then, we have never had a comic book accurate origin in live action for the Hulk where no, he's built a gamma bomb and then he's saving somebody else. And that's how he ends up getting irradiated and becoming the Hulk. It's he always does, an experiment yeah. on himself. Well, no, 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 no. Angley's Hulk. It was, uh, he had, uh, it was, it was a mix of the, his father's ex experiments, but then he gets exposed to the gamma because he's trying to save, um, a, a lab assistant okay. who gets trapped. So yeah, there is that ah, aspect okay. so that of one's trying to save someone in that. Yeah. Yeah, um, right, Ed right, Norton's right. one. They don't have him have him saving anyone. It's just all again. It's just all established in that very quick, like 
five minute credit sequence. And yeah. it's just no dialogue. It's just, you just see the images of him in the chair, testing on himself, the transformation, and then him running away. And, and that's all we really see in that movie. So we never yeah. get the whole um, trying to save someone in that. Um, hmm. And then the comics, they've played around with it, with the, because the Gamma Bomb obviously made sense in the 60s. But when they did Heroes sure. Reborn in the 90s, Gamma Bomb didn't make as much sense anymore because it's after the Cold War. So instead, it was a Gamma sure. Reactor that he gets okay. stuck in. So they tried, they updated it that way. Have we ever seen Rick Jones in live action? Except no, just references so. on paper or Easter eggs. I know yeah, his I name appears in one of them, but yeah, his name appears, I think in incredible Hulk. Um, I think he's listed as one of the aliases or one of the known associates or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, he doesn't appear at all in any other in any live action, even in the ultimate stuff. He, I don't think he appears in the ultimate stuff at all either. Huh. Um, he was Seems in the like anime series. I know. I was thinking that too, okay. especially the the Ang Lee version, because they've got that lab assistant who gets stuck, and it they don't call his name's not Rick Jones. I think that would have been a, a good opportunity for a nod to the comics is to call him Rick Jones, but they didn't. Yeah. Um, another is Rick possible... Jones currently alive in the comics. Is he still alive? I believe so. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe so. The last thing I remember is that he also became a Hulk. He like became a Hulk. -bomb he, or uh, something. I think he died for a time too, but then he came back. He was in the, he was in the immortal Hulk series. I remember that. Okay. Um, he was also he... in, uh, he was also a hacker and he'd become a hacker and he was involved in um, the Sam Wilson, Captain America run as well. Okay. Uh, passing information he... to him and stuff like that. Was he a cosmic entity at some point as well? <laughs> Yeah, that was in the um, that was that was the way back. That was during the the Avengers Kree Scroll War thing, and okay. then of course he became um, he was paired with Captain Marvel, uh, uh, Captain Marvel's son Janice, and the yeah, 90, yeah, yeah. was it, late nineties, early two thousand series, uh, and he was like he the said, human counterpart to Captain Marvel. Quite a life for somebody who's never appeared in the live action. Yeah, it's it's surprising they never did, um, and I'm not sure why. It's it's always been a, a question why they never found some way to to work him in. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know. We'll see because we're getting we get a we're getting a bunch of Hulk characters in the the new upcoming Captain America movie. We're getting Betty. We're getting Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, we're getting the leader. So maybe they'll find a way for Rick Jones too. We'll see. Do you think we're gonna see a grumpy Harrison Ford Red Hulk? I don't know i mean that's the rumor um i think if anything i believe he's going to be in thunderbolt so i believe they'd probably use that for thunderbolts maybe save it for like a a post-credit sequence but but we'll see what happens mm -hmm. um anyway uh any final things to mention about uh this pilot uh well i mean just i think jack colvin was quite good as mcgee like he's mm. a good uh what do you call it like he's a just something to push the story forward. He always shows up in one or two one or two scenes in every episode. Just I heard there's a hulking creature around here. Mm. So, uh, and then the voice uh, Ted Cassidy as the narrator and the voice of the Hulk. Mm -hmm. uh, he was he played Lurch on the Adams Family in the sixties, mm -hmm. and then he was also uh, Bigfoot in the Bionic Woman series. Oh, so, okay. I'm. Kind of curious why they didn't uh, give Ferrigno a try to make that voice, but yeah, I was wondering that as well. Um, although he did get a chance eventually because he did the voice in uh, the Incredible Hulk movie, the Norton. Yes, 
Um, yeah, I don't know if they just felt it was a problem because Ferrigno obviously has a profound hearing loss, which kind of leads to, you know, he has a bit of a, uh, it's not an accent. What do you call it? The way he talks is, it yeah, sounds like yeah. a deaf person. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if you yeah. call that a speech impediment or what? It's changed I'm a lot sure. over the years. He sounds a lot uh, like he's practiced a lot more uh, in recent well, interviews. Well, I remember seeing him in. Uh, I think part of the thing is because his voice seems unnaturally high for his for a, mm. for a guy of his physique. Because if you've ever seen um, "I Love You, Man," he had a bit part yeah. in that, and and um, yeah, his voice does not strike you as a voice that would probably fit a guy who looks like that. Yeah, well, because he learned it from reading other mm. people's lips, so he right. never so adjusted think, it. Right, so. so I think that that's probably part of the reason they just felt like his voice probably wouldn't have fit the Hulk. But um, and then yeah, when they when did it for Johnson, Incredible Hulk, they were able to alter it. Right, and then Kenneth Johnson did say that they did have a, a few times on set where their uh, Ferrigno's deafness did cause a, a little bit of a safety issue. Oh, okay, because you you couldn't warn him about something dangerous that was kind of going to fall on him as he was smashing mm. stuff or whatever. So they always had to have stuntmen positioned all around the scene to help mm. him out if he did get into any trouble. So, uh, Although one of the things that surprised me about Frigno, because we see him in, because uh, he has cameos in both the Ang Lee Hulk and in the, uh, the Incredible Hulk. Yep. Looks like he got more jacked as he got older, actually. Well, I think so, because they talk about him in this... Like, I watched that documentary, and they mentioned that he was 6'4 and about 250 pounds. Mm -hmm. But on Wikipedia, he's listed as 6'4 and 315 pounds. So oh, wow. I think he did get a lot bigger. And even in the later episodes of the Hulk series, he looks more kind of jacked. Oh, okay. I don't know if maybe the steroids got better at that time, or... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the one yeah he does have an amazing physique. physique. Mm -hmm. If you look at uh, you know pumping iron, like I mentioned earlier, the physiques are kind of unbelievable, and mm -hmm. I really wonder what Schwarzenegger would have looked like in the Hulk makeup, because I think he has a very different style of physique. I think Ferrigno's mm -hmm. physique is much better suited to it. He's a lot mm -hmm. thicker, you know. Okay. For me, the Hulk should be kind of uh, rectangular in shape or square right, yeah. even. Right, very yeah, thick yeah. and yeah, boxy. So yeah, yeah, I don't I like agree the with slender that. Hulk. No, no, yeah. definitely not. Um, yeah. Okay, Ashley. Uh, I think finally, final words on this. I mean, it was, it was, it was nice to watch this finally because uh, it'd been sitting in my Netflix queue for a long time, and it's, uh, it's not a, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's a bit slow for my taste, but it is, um, it's pretty good for what they had at the time, and it's fairly. It takes itself very seriously. There's no camping. There's not an ounce of campiness in the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, it's it's definitely worth a watch. And, you know, if you can keep in mind that this was in the late 1970s and kind of take it with that mm -hmm. kind of lens, I think that it's worth watching. And so is the, a lot of the series, if you can track it down. Uh, there are a lot of very fun episodes, uh, much more serious ones and a lot more fun ones as well. Mm -hmm. Plenty of clips on YouTube of uh, the Incredible Hulk doing silly things like fighting a swarm of bees or doing <laughs> kung fu or going to a rock gig. <laughs> that did surprise me that it wasn't uh, they didn't have the series. They just at first I thought it was the series, but it's just the, the pilot episode. So um, I am I, wondering if it is 
uh, if it's a rights issue or what and why they don't have it streaming th- anywhere as far as I know. I think the series might be on Apple TV, but I'm not entirely sure. Okay, okay. There are places you can track it down if you're if you're a good enough hunter. Yeah, there's that too. There's that aspect. All right, Ashley, uh, thanks so much for for coming on again. Uh, do you have anything you wanted to promote? Anything you wanted to send people? I don't promote anything. I just in a, I'm a I'm a consumer, pure okay. consumer. No time to produce content. All right, well, uh, that does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephiles, then. Uh, you can find us at SuperheroCinephiles.com, Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you subscribe to the Patreon, you get these episodes a week in advance. Plus, you get access to the Book Club Patreon show, where we talk about comics and graphic novels. Uh, we record these episodes way in advance, so it'll, it might be, you might have already heard this, but Ashley's going to be coming on soon, um, recording-wise, to do uh, Spider-Man Life Story, so... If you're subscribed already, you may have you probably already heard that episode. If you're not subscribed, subscribe for a dollar a month and you can go back and listen to that and all the other comics we've talked about. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.